thank you, Lord. You know, the Bible says that the worries and the cares of this life, it says that it, it blocks God, it strains Him, it keeps Him out. But He calls us just to let it go, just to trust Him. He said if he's got his eyes on the birds and the flowers, don't you think that he has his eye on you and that he's fully aware of what's going on in your life for what you're facing? Just encourage you right here, right now, to give it to him, to take all your cares, in all your worries, because Jesus said you can't add anything to your life by worrying. Give it all to Him right now. Every pressure, every weight, every struggle, every thought, every question, and just lay it at His feet. Just give it to Him. I thank you, God, that you are more than a feeling. You're not goosebumps. You're not quiet. You're not loud. You are the Spirit within us, directing us and moving us. And we're going about so many times with your leading, and we're not even aware. You want us carefree, worry-free, struggle-free. It doesn't mean those things aren't in front of you, but it means that you're not dwelling on them. You're not focusing on them. He is in you, and He is leading you. Just encourage you today to give it all. Put it all on the altar. Just watch it burn up. And Lord, we ask you to lead us. We want to be changed. We don't want to be the same as even the person that came in here today, Lord. Forget the old man. We don't want to be the same as we were this very day. We want to walk out of here changed. We pray, Lord, that what, what happened here is what happened so many times when the encounter of Jesus Christ goes from your head to your heart. You could see it in the Scriptures when He would crack through. You could see the ones that, res that resisted Him, and then you can see the ones that accepted Him, and they received something, and a change occurred. They left changed. They left encouraged, and strengthened, and freed, and whole, and saved. Pray, Lord, that your word would come forth today. That this house is a place where you can stretch out 
and be God. Thank you, Lord, that you are here today. And I pray that you would speak to every single heart the word that they need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is so good to be in the house of God. You know, this is just a building, isn't it? Right, Linda? Just a building. But you know what the house of God is? It's when His people, when God's people gather together and welcome Him in. When that happens, it is God's house. Because He is with you. He is in you. And when we let Him come through us, when we let each other, we welcome each other in, we get together as a body and we're, we're casting aside all the other things, the things of today, the things of our flesh, the things of division, and we decide that we're going to gather with all these different personalities and thinking and, and age groups and etc. And we just put that aside and we just say, we're going to worship you, God. We're going to come together and we know that you're going to bypass those things, those things in the natural. I mean, those things are dividers in the natural. But God doesn't look like that, does he? This is the house of God because he's brought all of us together. You are here for a reason. You are here for a purpose. It has been ordained by God that you are in this place today. I was just, just wanted to, before I open the sermon, just wanted to share this one quick thought I had during worship that the only thing that separates us from God is our will. Now, I've said many times it's sin, and that's true. I'm not going to negate what I said before, but it's really before sin, the Bible says in James that it's your will. It says that sin comes out of the desire in you. So even before the sin that separates us is a place within us called will. And I'm thankful for my will. If we didn't have free will, then we would be forced and robots. But God designed us. He could have designed this system any way he wanted. He's God. He has that right. And he designed us to be relational, to be just like he shows us with parents and our children with our brothers and our sisters, he gives us the picture, gives us a picture, calls himself. The Jews had a very intimate name for him, and it was Daddy. He calls himself Father over us as children, and he gives us that picture. And what is happening in a family? You have free will to love. The father chooses, father and mother choose to love their children, which he has. And the ultimate goal for a parent is the child to choose to love the parent back because of everything the parent does for them. You know, you don't even, my kids don't even see 99% of what I do for them. And they, I don't need their approval or their, I don't need a pat on the back from them. But your kids, you know, we know now as you become an adult what your parents have done for you. 
I mean, that's, I mean, besides the actual physical part, just the mental and the, and the physical inside of you, the stress and the straining that you carry for your children. And God wants us as his children just to look at him and say, you know what? You've done so much for me, more than I'll ever be aware of. And I want to love you. And I just, just wanted to share that little thought. It has nothing to do with today's sermon at all, but maybe that's just for one of you. Maybe it's for all of you. Maybe that's the sermon you needed to hear, and I'm just going to preach anyway. But your will, when we, when we lay it down, that's when God can come in. His love is right there at your door, always. It is never leaving. It is never ending. It's, it is eternal. And the Bible says that Jesus showed us the epitome of love. He said there is no greater love than for a person to lay down their life for another. And Jesus Christ didn't just say it. He didn't just say, do as I say, not as I do. He showed it in the physical by laying down his very life for us. His love there is no question of it, is right there. It is only our will that's in between us. Now, when our will is after the things of the world, after our desires, that's when the book of James says that that's where then sin births from. But we don't have to let those things birth, do we? We can let the fruit of the Spirit birth from us instead of the fruit of our flesh by simply using the same gift of free will and saying, I want you, God, instead of me. I want to serve you instead of serving myself. It's very, very simple. And, you know, maybe it does go completely with today's sermon. Let's just open it and let the Lord speak. The Lord's already speaking. Thank you, Lord. I'm just going to pray one last time here before we start. Not one last time, but one more time. Here we go. Lord, we thank you that your word is active, it's alive, it's freeing. When we open the doors to your word, I thank you, Lord, that you just, you get in there and you do some work that only you can do. There's many here, Lord, that can, would just could get up and testify, Lord, of even what you've done this week by them laying down their will, by them laying down the swords and the shields, and they've put down, Lord, the, their fighting, and they've put down the warring, and they just let it go and said, God, I need you in this situation, Lord, and we've seen you've come through. So I pray today that our will would just be open to you, the doors would open to you, Lord, and I pray that your word would come in as it says it does, as a sword that cuts cuts off the junk, cuts off the old, cuts off our flesh, and Lord, it heals on its way out. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've been thinking about our faith, our faith in Jesus Christ, this thing we call Christianity, our walk. What is this thing? You know, it is not, as I say many times, it is not a drive through Jesus Christ is not sit in the window and say, I'll take this, 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 and that. Thank you. Here's my money. Oh, 
Some people do charge for it, don't they? You guys have seen that. Here's my money, and I'll see you later. That's not Jesus, is he? The faith that we have is an active faith. Our Christianity is what's called a walk. Now, many today, you'll see as Christianity evolves. I know this is crazy to even say such a thing, but you'll see in your lifetime as it evolves because a lot of flesh is starting to get in. A lot, of, a lot of our will is starting to get into the church. You'll see, you're going to see a degradation, just a, a, a losing of the seriousness and the calling and the walking with Jesus as we try to make it more and more comfortable and more like the world. If we do that, what will happen is we're going to lose what Jesus Christ sparked in us, and that is that we are aliens. That's what the Bible says. We are in this world, but we are not of it. And the more of the world we try to bring in to make the world comfortable coming in, listen, we need to reach this world. Jesus Christ was fully aware that the world needed to be reached, and he walked the earth in the flesh and then paid his price with his life. For us, he is fully aware of the condition of our hearts and that we need him, but he never, ever, ever, he was the friend of a sinner, but he never became one. He never allowed their sin to become equal with him to try to reach them. He would go to the prostitute, he went to the tax collectors, those who were like the mafia of the day. He went to them. He wasn't afraid to go to them, and neither should we be afraid to welcome anybody into the kingdom and talk to anybody about the gospel. But there is a, a line between being a friend to someone, being there for them, and then the line, if we can start to cross it, when we allow their traits to come into the church so that they're more comfortable with their sin. That's really all we're doing. We're just creating it to be a little more comfortable in the meantime until they change. But it's not supposed to be comfortable. Jesus Christ wants to change you and that discomfort you feel is not the pressure. It's not the people in the church looking at you. There's a lot of guys that have come in and come out and they said, I feel like that whole place was judging me. That's not what was happening. You were feeling the pressure and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you may have had gazing eyes. That may happen, but that's not what you were feeling. You were feeling the thing in Jesus Christ who's in this place today saying, I don't want that junk in your life because it's gonna kill you. I don't need to convince you today that you have all been down roads, as I have, that could have led to death. We've all gone into things and got into relationships and got into stuff that could have destroyed us. And when Jesus speaks to us, when he tells us, I want that thing out of your life, I want to change you, he's not asking us to do something that would give him pleasure watching us suffer. He's asking you, if you'll let me, I want to get that thing out of you that I know will destroy you. I want to get that habit out of your life that will kill you. And so, what do we do? We surrender. 
we open up our arms and we say, Jesus, you figure it out because I certainly can't. And when we let him do that, it becomes activated. It becomes an act of faith. It becomes a walk. And what the devil wants to do in that time is to try to get you think it was a drive-through. I had an encounter. I had an experience with Jesus. It was an amazing time. And then go back to your life all week. Jesus Christ showed us that he is the way. It's a way. It's a totally different way. It's a totally different road. You can't bring Jesus on your road. You need to leave your road. You need to leave your thought process. You need to leave your heart and your will and your desires behind and start following him. And then I promise you, that the will and the desires and the things in you, the stuff that was, you know, to fulfill yourself for your own gain, you'll see those things will go. But the stuff in you that was looking to help even, to, even good things, to help people, when even you surrender that and you start following Christ, he'll take that good thing in you and he'll start directing it. But you have to lay it all down, even the good. You can't bring you into his walk. You have to lay it down. You have to let go and you start following. And that becomes active faith. But walking with Jesus is even more than that. Even more. Walking with God is actually proactive. It's a proactive faith. It is, and he has given us a Bible. He has given us this book preserved in leather for thousands of years. The only book in history, you can, I, I hate when Christians try to sell the gospel. They try to make it sound better than other ones. They try to say, well, it's the only faith. You don't have to do this and you have to do that. I don't need to sell Jesus Christ. He is the truth and that's it. Plain and simple. And I, that's just for me, I'm not going to try to convince you that Jesus is the way. That's just for, that's me. I think it's disrespectful to God to try to make him sound like something that he is or isn't so that people then will want him. So I'll leave that there. But with that said, this is not a sales pitch. The Bible is the only God, it's the only faith that had all of these different writers saying the same exact thing. And they all pointed to a time when there would be this person, this God, who would come to them in the flesh. Everything in the whole Bible was pointing to Jesus. Everything was pointing to him and that he would come. And when he did arrive, they had missed him because they weren't looking for him. If they had been looking for him, they would have seen him. And we have proof of that. The Bible says that there was three wise men and there was some shepherds who had their eyes open. The Bible says that there were few 
who were aware, who were looking, wondering where is he because he's supposed to be here. And they came and they really, they brought blessings to Jesus, but who got the, who got the blessing that day? Really? They got the blessing by being just in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible is pointed to this entire thing that God has preserved, pointed to him then, and then all of these different people, all these different encounters with Jesus pointed to his life here on earth as the same thing. There's not contradictory It points to Jesus here on the earth and what he did all with this common theme. And then Jesus tells us in his own words, and I'm going to read some verses, that that's not all, that just like I came here today, I need to leave for some time because I have to do something. I'm going to lay down my very life. I'm going to lay down my body, and it's going to be shed for you, my blood for you. But wait And look, because I'm coming again. The fullness of the gospel is not just that Jesus came, is not just that he rose from the dead and went and sat down with the Father. That is a truth that we can hold on to today. We are here because of that truth. We have victory over this life and over our flesh and over Satan because of that truth. But that is a truth of the truth, which is that the fullness of the story is not finished yet. Jesus Christ is coming again. And then the very first thing that our minds in the natural say is it's been 2,000 years. They start rolling. It's been 2,000 years. Come on. Come on. I know he's coming, but, you know, probably not in our lifetime. Okay, you can have that thought process. It says... In the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, and if you could pull it up in the Amplified, Mariah. Now, as to the times and dates, brothers and sisters, or whatever you have there is fine. As to the suitable times and the precise seasons and dates, brethren, you have no necessity for anything being written to you. For you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the return of the Lord will come. I just want to stop right there. Let's act like there's a period here. What does it say? You know that the day of the Lord will come. Before we even get to the fact of how fast it's going to come, of how it's going to surprise you, it says unexpectedly and suddenly as a thief in the night. Before we get to that, we need to know that he is coming. And before our flesh and your mind starts rolling and you say, well, it's been 2,000 years. Come on, preacher. This was written 2,000 years ago. Don't you think that God was well aware of his time frame when he spoke these words of inspiration as he penned this book? 
And what does that tell us? That tells us as Christians, the fullness of being a believer is to have this knowing in you, to be looking. Verse 3. When people are saying, all is well and secure, there is peace and safety, then in a moment of unforeseen destruction, ruin, and death will come upon them as suddenly as labor pains come upon a woman with child, and they shall no means escape, for there will be no escape. Verse 4. But you are not in, look it, you are not in darkness. When he penned these, he's saying, I'm telling you things you know. These are truths you know. I'm just reviewing here, believers. Is he for us? Sometimes I, I'm looking at these and say, oh yeah, you are coming again. We're living for him. We're serving him. We're loving him. But is he just reviewing? I'm thinking, wow. Uh, he really is revealing because, you know, it's a truth that we just don't think about as common for him to say, hey, you guys know this. You know this. You're not in the darkness about this. Verse 5. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We do not belong to either the night or to the darkness. In verse 6. Accordingly then, let us not Sleep as the rest do, but let us keep wide awake, alert, watchful, cautious, and on our guard, and let us be sober, calm, collected, and circumspect. The Bible here says this word, wide awake, and it has this parentheses because this is the Amplified. It's, it's putting the Hebrew and Greek, you know, it wasn't in English, putting it into some language that we can understand. And the reason you see parentheses is because there's actually a thought here he's trying to get to you, and it's this word that they translate here called Gregorio. And it's the Greek word to mean strict attention. It means cautious, active. It means to take heed. It means to be watchful, to be vigilant. And that's why you have this series of words. The Bible tells us that the world is asleep. It tells us that they have no idea about the coming of Christ. You can read in Matthew 24 that Jesus said it will be as in the days of Noah. Whether you believe that story as uh, metaphorical or physical, I guess that's your choice. I believe it was physical. believe that God, if he wanted to be a metaphor, he would have said, like Jesus did, let me tell you a parable. But it says that only Noah and his family got on that boat. And we read in Matthew 24 that the coming of the Lord would be just like that day. It says they were eating, and they were drinking, and they were marrying, and life goes on. Life is good. It's perfect. There's peace. 
See, the, the Christian is not asleep, though. The Christian is not like the rest. Part of our walk, part of our faith, the fullness of, of the Christian faith, it's a proactive faith. It's not just that we've let Jesus do something in us, but it's proactive. Proactive means that you're looking ahead. It means that you're not just thinking about now. You're also thinking about your future with God. You're thinking about eternity. You're focused on not this world, but the next. And then we live on this earth a little bit differently, don't we? when we're thinking about eternity. It's such healthy Christianity to be looking for his coming because without looking for Jesus to come, it's so quick and so easy to become lazy. I'll just, I'll do what I do so many times, ready? I'm just in the audience, gonna preach to myself, okay? Let the speakers preach to me. It's just so easy when we're not looking for him to become drive-through Christians. Thank you for that. Just wanted to stop in for one more thing. Just needed a quick nugget. See ya. That was a double pun. See that? A nugget? We got it without you telling us. Thank you. Look what the Bible says. In the book of Luke chapter 12, verse 35, it says, be dressed and ready. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. Let's go right through verse 40, Mariah. As though you were waiting, as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Now, these are not, this is not, not that, I, let me just start over. We have lots of books in the Bible. We have guys prophesying about Jesus we have Jesus' actual mouth speaking that they pen down. And then we have after Jesus from Acts through Revelation, which we don't discount. There's no less power. But they were men who said, hey, I was with Jesus. These are some things to think about. This is what he taught me and so on. Not that there's more or less, but these are Jesus' actual words. This is not someone's commentary. This wasn't like, hey, I watched Jesus come and go, and he told us this, um, so be ready. No, he's writing down, we call these the words in red. Jesus says to us, so we can get the 2,000-year thing out of our head. We can get the, well, I've been saying he's coming my whole life. Get that out of our head. We can get the, well, uh, you know, um, things don't seem like the time. Because what we're going to see is the Bible is, says that, you know, we get a lot of things. We get revelation. It's going to look like this. We're going to see this. We're going to see that. We don't know. It's going to say you're going to know the season, but you don't know. And he tells us it's healthy Christianity to be waiting. 
Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. Verse 37. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. Verse 38. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will, re- he will reward the servants who are ready. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. And finally, and verse 40, you also... I also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Jesus Christ came and he shocked the world because all of the scriptures that told his people for all those years that I'm coming had gotten lost. They had gotten so focused on how to do, right? They were doing their church so well that here comes the reason they were doing it to begin with. Here comes Jesus, and they missed him. And Jesus loves us so much that he tells you, hey, it's going to be just like that. It's going to shock you. And he's talking to believers. Now, when Jesus said these things, he wasn't talking to not again that there's less power when he talked to the unsaved. But this, these conversations were where he was talking to those that were following him. There were times that he would just talk to the crowd and he would share with them a truth which you'd see some accept and you saw a lot of the religious of the day, they would reject him. But these conversations that you find Jesus talking about the end, talking about his return, if you, start, if you study all of them, there's a bunch of them through the, different, through the Gospels, you'll see these are the conversations he had with his disciples, which means that us as believers, us right here today, he was talking to them and he's talking to us to be ready. I'm so excited that you found me. I'm just going to paraphrase Jesus' words. I'm so excited that you found me and that you're following me and that you let me change you. But don't forget that I'm coming again. Don't forget that it will surprise you. And there's just, there's so many, I put a lot of verses here that we could go to, but I'm going to go to the book of Matthew chapter 25. Again, there's just, you can see Jesus had this conversation many times and with many different parables. But I felt the Lord really wanted me to say this one and I want to be faithful to do that. It says in chapter 25 of Matthew, verse 1. Actually, Mariah, can you pull that up in the Amplified as well? It says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. It says five of them were foolish. They were thoughtless and without forethought. They were active. These were, they were meeting. 
They were going to see him. They had an awareness of the bridegroom. The bridegroom, we know in our word, symbolizes Jesus Christ, that we are the bride. We're being prepared, the church, his body, and he's the groom coming back for us. But it says that five of them were flippant. They were careless. They were thoughtless. They had a good idea of who the bridegroom was. They had a good idea of who Jesus was, but they were careless about it. And it says that five were wise. They were sensible and intelligent and prudent. It says that for when the foolish took their lamps, they did not take any oil with them. Now there's the reason they add extra is it we'll see in the story is their lamp does burn for a time. So they had some. So to clarify, they didn't take any extra oil with them in verse four for the wise though took flasks of oil along with them also with their lamps. And again, this this is a parable of Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he spoke a parable, is giving you a story to create a picture. He's creating a picture to tell you a truth. And he says, this is what it's going to be like in the kingdom. This is what it's going to be like in, the last in that last day. This right here, I'm going to paint a picture for you to describe to you what it will be like when I return. And he says, the bridegroom lingered. They thought, they thought in the Bible that Jesus was, was going to wrap things up and establish the kingdom so fast that before he even left the earth, they asked him, Lord, now, now? But he's lingered. And then people grow tired and they say, come on. Come on, we like the Jesus part. I like the stuff that he gives you. But I just don't want too much to do with it because, you know, we got time. Got an enormous amount of time. He's been lingering. He's been all this time. How much? I got a lot of time. I don't have to worry about Jesus coming back. And he says he was slow in coming. And they all, I love this, the parable says that all of them, began nodding their heads and they fell asleep. Even the wise, not just the unwise, even the wise fell asleep. Now in this parable, Jesus doesn't condemn them for falling asleep. It was so long. They waited so long that in this parable, the picture is not about being awake or being asleep, it's about the oil. And we're going to see, I'll explain it better as we read the next text. Is but at midnight, there was a shout, and behold, the bridegroom, go out to meet him. And it says in verse 7, then all those virgins got up and put their own lamps in order. Verse 8. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, there will not be enough for us and for you. Go instead to the dealers and buy for yourselves. 
But while they were going away to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were prepared went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And later the other virgins also came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. But he replied, I solemnly declare to you, I do not know you. And I love this parenthesis. One of the other translations says, I don't have a relationship with you. I am not acquainted with you. Finally, verse 13 Watch, here's that word again, Gregorio, vigilant, focused. Watch, therefore, give strict attention and be cautious and active. For you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man will come. The wise, it says, took oil with them. And it says the unwise, something was burning. They had an idea. They had a familiarity with it. But it says they took no extra. They took no oil with them. But then it turns and says they all fell asleep. I believe the symbol here in this parable, and there's probably a hundred because that's how God's word is. But I believe today why I was supposed to share it is that there is a time where you forget. Everybody falls asleep to that. As I just said to myself, I had to remember again. I mean, I'm serving him and I know that I'm bringing you, I'm bringing you something from him every Sunday just give you something and I want you to have a relationship with him more than me bringing you something, but we're here and we're gathering and we're going to meet him one day and that's the church. But I had to be reminded I fell asleep a little bit to the fact that he was coming. But he gives you a key here. He says that the ones who had the oil, when they woke up, hey, Jesus is coming back. Well, I'm ready for him. It's to be ready, even though it could feel like even in your lifetime, we've been waiting. And even though that mentality, so to speak, begins to get a little tired in you, begin to just forget just a little bit more about that. He gives you the key. He says, but the ones who had the oil, the ones who had stayed close to me, even though they forgot that there's a part of the story that's not finished, that I'm coming back, if you stay close to me and if you are serious and thoughtful and you are walking with the Lord, you are walking in a way that's not careless and flippant, but he says, therefore, he says, and finally in verse 13, to tell us to be like the wise, it says, watch therefore. Because even you may just start to nod. Even you may start to just forget that there's a part of the story. He says it will come just like a thief. But he's not surprised. He's not going to be surprised when you are 
surprised that he's there because the Bible says that even the son doesn't know when. That's not the issue. The issue is when you're finally surprised, he's here, it's time, it's that you're ready. And the point of this parable is that you won't have time to get yourself ready. You're not going to have time to do that. If you've been living as a drive through Christian, just picking up what you need as you go, those things from God are going to run out. And all of a sudden, right when what you had from him, the last thing you got from him, the little thing that he helped you through, oh, Lord, I need you. We all do it. I need you so much. Then we go right back into our own life and we start living life again. Right when, the Bible says, when what you got last from him runs out, right when you would need him most, you need to run back to him most, it's too late. And he's cautioning us to live every day, not just active, but proactive Christianity, a type of faith that is always, always, always looking to him. It is so reliant on him, so focused on him, and as aware as you can be, you're never going to fully know, but as aware as you can be that he is coming back. But even when we are fully aware, the Bible says even us, we're gonna, we'll miss the moment. We're going to nod off in the moment, but then we're ready. And the point is that you need to make that time now. Time is short And whenever I preach about this, if you don't believe me that Jesus is coming back and you think I have time, let me just finish it with this. The Bible says the same exact word, watch, in Peter. He tells us to watch because the devil prowls about like a lion. If you don't believe me that Jesus could come back right now, I mean right now, Every breath I'm saying could be that moment. If you don't believe that, know that the same word is used for the devil because what he'll try to do is try to get you into a lazy, lackadaisical, partial Christianity. And then the Bible says that with that type of faith, it's easy for him to come and devour you like a lion. And the book of James says that your life is only a wisp of air, a vapor, a breath. So even if Jesus does not return as he didn't for this generation and for hundreds of generations since them did not, he called us to live in a way that is looking because what it does is it keeps you sharp. He wasn't lying to them saying to look. He wasn't tricking them saying, it's going to be like a hundred generations. You guys are fools. He wasn't trying to trick them and play with them. He was giving them the key, the tool to live a life that not just enters, but that is sure. You want to make sure that you're sure that you're sure that you are living for him and heading towards him. You just look as if he's coming around the corner right now. It's kind of like a child who's been left home by their parents for a few hours. Parents says, I'll be home around three. What does the child do at 2.58? They stop doing what they were doing. 
But all of a sudden, the parent shows up at 2.45. If you are wondering, your mom says, I'm going out and I'm not telling you when I'm coming back. Now you're living a little bit differently. That time frame starts to change, doesn't it? Doesn't it? And so he calls us to be ready at every moment. What it does is it creates such a sharp Christianity. And then the lion in Peter that's trying to devour you because you're watchful, because you're looking, because you're constantly got your eyes on Jesus Christ and nothing else. And I know that this is what it's about. He's coming back. The devil cannot get you. He's got no power over you. Let's close it in some prayer. We thank you, Lord God, for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you have preserved this thing that we call the Bible. Lord, you've preserved it, and you are still speaking it fresh today as if it was just penned. It is just as relevant today as it was when it was written. Lord, I pray even the things we don't understand Lord, that they would sink down deep into our spirit that's within us. And Lord, I pray that you would begin to speak to us through your word that's been spoken today. And I pray in the name of Jesus, as your word says, that everything that's standing in, in the way, every imagination, every thought, I pray, Lord, for the cutting of those things, Lord, the breaking Pray in Jesus' name that every mindset, everything that's standing in between us and you in the fullness that you've called us to, pray, Lord, that those mentalities would break right now in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord, that you are calling us to you. You are reminding us that time is short and we are keeping our eyes on you, looking to you, Lord. And whether you come first or we come first, we are awaiting the day that we get to meet you. In Jesus' name, amen.